Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for this beautiful morning that you've given to us, this time and opportunity as Jeanette so beautifully prayed this morning, that we come to worship you and to praise you and to give you glory. That's why we're, we're here. We do that when we sing these songs to you and praise and worship to you, Lord. When, when we open up your word uh, and we, we look to you to teach us from your word, we do that because we're giving you praise and glory and honor. Lord, when we pray, when we fellowship, even when we eat, Lord, uh, we are doing it in a, in a way that gives you glory, Lord. So now take this time, I pray. Work through me now, Lord. Use me as the tool in your hand. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, you know, last week we started to look at chapter 13, which Jesus begins to teach with parables. Remember, a parable is like an everyday common example to help us understand heavenly realities, as Jesus states. uh, But these, uh, these parables that we're looking at in chapter 13 aren't just your regular everyday average parables. These are the kingdom parables. They're called the kingdom parables. And that's because every time Jesus starts one, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on. And so these are called the kingdom parables. Now, last week we looked at two, but there are seven in this chapter. That didn't take too long. I am not a numbers guy. <laughs> um, but there are some pretty neat and significant numbers in the Bible. Seven happens to be one of them, and it's one of my favorites because seven is God's number. Six is the number of man, the Bible says. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of God. It's God's number. It means completeness and perfection, which makes sense to me that man's number is less than perfection because I don't know if you know this or not, but you are not perfect, nor am I. Some of us are much further away. (laughs) I think that uh, Jesus, in giving us these seven parables in chapter 13, I think he perfectly and completely summarizes the, as he says, kingdom of heaven. Like he plants the seed of his word, which is the beginning of eternal life. And in the end, he separates those who believed from those who didn't believe. And in between all of that, he says that Satan is going to try and come in and wreck it all by snatching the seeds away from the hardened heart by planting weeds in the wheat field or leaven in the dough, which is what we'll look at today. In spite of all that Satan tries, Jesus tells us to not worry about the weeds or the leaven, but to love God, love people enough to share the gospel with them. And we're going to pick up today in verse 24. I know I covered this last week, but too bad. (laughs) Verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat um, and went his way. Uh, Again, I'm not going to go through it probably as detailed as we did last week, but there's still some things that are really cool to touch on. I want you to see that he says that the enemy came in under the cover of darkness at nighttime. Sneaky, hiding, subtle is a word that seems to come up quite a bit when it comes to the way the devil wants to work in your life. Subtle. He wants to sneak in where you're, maybe you don't notice it. Maybe it's not as obvious to you that he's beginning to do some work. And this enemy comes in and sows, tears, uh, weeds into the wheat. And you remember we talked about last week how the, this particular weed is called the Darnell weed. And it looks just like wheat as it begins to grow. Um, and it's very hard to tell the difference between the Darnell weed and the wheat in the early stages especially. And as it matures, it's tempting to want to go in and pull out the weeds. But as that Darnell weed grows up, the weed, the roots grow down and start to wrap around some of the wheat roots. And if you were able to identify a tear or a Darnell weed, and if you were able to grab a hold of it and try and pull it out, very likely what you would do also is pull up the wheat as well. But here's the thing. Most of that time, you really, you, the the person, uh, the workers in the field, couldn't tell the difference between wheat and weed anyway. 
And so what Jesus is going to kind of say is, don't worry about tearing up the, the weeds out of the wheat. First of all, you can't really, you're not really uh, able to tell the difference. And even if you could tell the difference, when you pull up a weed, you might also be pulling up wheat. Now, uh, look at this. I, I keep looking at this question. It says, so... The servants, look at verse 27. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? You understand that this is a parable. So Jesus is saying this is just an example of a heavenly reality or a kingdom reality. And he's saying that the, the servants come to the master and say, Well, didn't you sow good wheat? How come there are weeds in it? You know what? Couldn't you have stopped this? from happening, it's almost like they're blaming the man who owns the farm, saying, well, if you had sown good wheat, you had the power to stop this. You, sowed, you must have sowed weeds or bad seed. Now, remember, this is a, an example of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus will say, he's going to explain this later on. You remember, we looked at that last week. He's going to explain, well, you know, um, the enemy who sowed the harvest, or it says that the field, the, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The, the field is the kingdom and the, uh, the weeds are, the sun, are, are Christians and the weeds are the counterfeits. And really what it's saying is like, God, couldn't you have stopped this bad thing from happening? Couldn't you have stopped that? Why did you allow that thing to happen? You understand that we do that all the time. We ask that same question. Did you not sow good seed? We say those same things to God all the time. Like, God, couldn't you have stopped? Why would you allow this terrible thing to happen? Couldn't you have stopped? If you're the all-knowing, all-powerful God, couldn't you have stopped all of this from happening? Jesus, in the parable, he answers and he says to them, an enemy has done this. That's all he says. An enemy has done this. But what is his answer? What is he saying to us? Essentially, we know that Jesus says, these things, they're going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. What he says is, I could explain it to you. I could explain um, why I do everything that I do or why I allow everything that I allow, but you wouldn't understand it anyway. Habakkuk 1.5. He literally says, I'm doing something in your day, something you wouldn't believe even if you were told about it. And God says, I can't tell you every reason why I do every single thing I do or why I allow everything that I allow. But I've told you, number one, that these things will happen. He says, there will, uh, what's he say? <laughs> In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, I, I just can't explain to you why I do everything that I do, but what I can show you in my word is that I'm just and that I'm righteous and that I love you and that there will come troubles, things will happen that are bad, things are going to happen that you don't like, but take heart, be of good cheer. I, Jesus says, have overcome the world. He's going to tell us in more than one place, there is a time of the end when he will sort out those who are his from those who aren't. There is a time at the end. Paul would call this life our temporary light affliction. That's hard to accept sometimes when you, your body is literally being eaten away by cancer and you say, well, this is just a temporary light affliction. I totally get it. But there is something so much greater coming after this very short time when we leave this tent or bag, sack of bones, I've heard it. Sack of bones feels about right, doesn't it? Sack of bones. And he says, you know what? You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have good times. I, can't, I just can't explain to you why I do everything. But what I can explain to you, he says, is that you can trust me. And that I have everything under control for a purpose that I can't explain necessarily to you. But know that I love you. He says, an enemy has done this, that is all. In this world, there will be tribulation, but be of good cheer that I have overcome the world. He says, I tell you these things, you can look this up, he goes, I tell you these things so that you will have peace. Okay, okay. 
He says, uh, then, uh, then he goes on um, in 29, he says, but while, while you gather up the tares, you might also uproot the wheat. Let them both grow together until the harvest and the time of harvest. And I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat in my barn. And so we know that Jesus will go on to explain this uh, parable to his disciples. And he says, you know, um, I'm going to send my angels at the end of the age to gather up those who are of his kingdom and those who aren't. And he says in the parable, the tares are going to be bundled up and thrown into the fire to be burned. And actually that's so exactly what will happen according to his explanation is that those who are tares, those who are not his wheat will be cast into the hell where it says there's gnashing of teeth and um, wailing wailing and gnashing of teeth. I heard it explained the other day, like we don't know exactly what hell is like. And honestly, the only reason I care to know even a little bit is so that the reality of it drives me to share the gospel with everybody else is to say, this is a place where you just don't want to go. It was explained to me the other day. Think of this. Have you ever had that? um, Have you ever had a dream where you're like, you're falling and you wake up and you're like, ah, right? Imagine not waking up falling in complete, utter blackness, all alone, but also with the sensation of being on fire. That's an explanation. That's a description of hell. I don't know if it's, it's going to be something like that. It's a horrible, horrible reality. And, and the way he put it, the way this teacher put it, he says, and 24 hours into it, you've not even begun. In a week in, you've not even begun. A, a month, a year, 10 thousand years. You've not even begun to come to the end because it's forever. That at least is enough, I would think, for someone to say, maybe I ought to look into this Jesus thing. Then he says, verse 31, and and another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a a, a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So first of all, there's a kind of pretty common teaching about this parable that says like the, um, um, the mustard seed is the faith that God plants into a person and then it grows, it grows, and it grows so big that it becomes a safe place for everyone to be able to come to understand the word of God and, the, and it's a home for birds and then everything's happy and there's a rainbow and rabbits are skipping around the base of it. And, and, and that is actually not the reality of the explanation of this. And you have to remember the context of what he's talking about. He's, he's warning them and he's going to go on and warn them in these parables. And really what he's talking about is the mustard seed that's planted that is is the faith and the beginning of religion, which is true. That part is true. It starts off really small and then it grows. But what he's talking about here is unnatural or mutated growth that happens. A mustard plant can grow into a good-sized bush, but it's never a huge tree like he's referring to here in this parable. And you understand when he says that the birds come and nest in its branches and take refuge in the branches of the tree, he's not talking, I mean, he's not saying these are nice, good birds. In fact, we know that he's talking about birds like as in the parable of the sower. The birds in the parable of the sower were the workers of Satan. And so in, in the absence of further explanation, there's something called expositional constancy which means if birds were bad in this parable and it's not explained otherwise in the next one, then they're still bad. Understand? Expositional constancy. Those are two big words. I had to look them both up. But what he's saying is what happens over time if not kept in check, and and the check is within the parameters of the word itself, religion can grow into something completely mutated and unnatural and become corrupt so much so that the workers of the devil can actually take refuge within its branches. And that's what he's worrying about. Remember, what has happened? What is he, what is he, who is he dealing with in this situation? 
Essentially, he's been battling in, in conversation, especially the Pharisees who have taken a simple faith that God gave to them and have distorted it into something so corrupt. Remember, it isn't just that they've added rules, but they've added things to their religion that cause people to have to pay a lot more money. It usually comes down to that, isn't it? Corruption usually comes down to someone's making money somewhere. What do they say? Always follow the money. It's usually about the money. And this was no different. The church had become very corrupt. The church had become corrupt at this time so that the workers of iniquity were able to take refuge within its borders. And it had become a mutated form of something simple that God had intended. And that's what this parable is talking about. Verse 33, it says, another parable he spoke to, the, spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And again, there is a common teaching that says, well, that's like she, she put a little bit of faith here and a little bit of faith there, and then it grew and it spread to the whole loaf, and the gospel of Jesus Christ now has, can spread throughout the whole world, and that just is not right. You know leaven is never a good thing in the word of God. Jesus refers to leaven as uh, hypocrisy, false teaching, worldly compromise. Paul calls leaven carnality in the church and false doctrine. Leaven, leaven had to be removed from their bread for the Passover feast. It was as if they were taking the sin and getting it out of their house so that they symbolically would have a pure house in order to celebrate the feast of Passover. So leaven is never a good thing. If anybody ever tries to teach you this parable and says, well, this is about the gospel spreading around the world. Nope. This is about the subtlety of sin getting into you and spreading throughout and infecting your entire loaf. Look at what are the, what are the there's the, the hint right here. A woman took and hid in three measures of meal. The word is concealed. It's like, again, like the, the, the enemy who comes in by the darkness of night to sow this, the weeds into the field. This woman says that she hides or conceals leaven. The, the purpose is nefarious. I love the word now, nefarious. Her purpose is nefarious so that that leaven will infect the rest of the dough. In case you, in case you didn't know how they would make bread, if they were making bread that had leaven in it, they would make the dough, you know, and they would take a little piece of that dough and they would set it aside and then they would bake their bread. And then the next day they would make dough and they would take that little piece that they had saved from the day before and they would mix it in, right? And that little piece of dough from the day before would get in and it would then um, go throughout that whole loaf. Uh, that, that leaven would leaven the whole loaf, as Paul would say. Um, and it only takes a little, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf is what he actually says, right? Um, and it would then cause, you know, has anybody ever baked bread before? Uh, just, you know, six of us, okay. Um, what do we call leaven now? Yeast, okay? Yeast gets into dough, and what does it do? It, it starts to do that, that um, what's that called? Yeah, it ferments. Um, and it causes the dough to be puffed up. And that's why, that's why they, he uses this as a, as a symbol of sin. Because leaven or sin would cause them to become puffed up. And so this parable is talking about the danger, the subtlety of sin being introduced into your life. And then it's spreading to all other parts of your life. Maybe it's introduced in one little small area that you think is very harmless or don't even notice. But it soon spreads and leavens your entire loaf until you become completely leavened. This is what Jesus is speaking to them about. Now, if you're like me, you look at these and you say, well, geez, 31 and 33, they're really similar. It's like he's trying to say the same thing only in two, two parables. Did he just, like, he was like, oh, I got another one for you. It doesn't seem like Jesus doesn't ever waste words, does he? He has only a short period of time left. And so he's like, I'm not going to waste any words. There's a purpose for the mustard seed. And there's a purpose for the parable about the leaven. And this is what I think it is. The parable of the mustard seed addresses that kind of obvious outward corruption that you could look at any uh, um, corrupted 
church at this point and kind of identify. When you see a church that's uh, a humongous, fancy, ornate church, and I'm not against mega church, please. I'm not, I'm not you know, like pounding the pulpit against that. But what, if you see a church where you've got a guy who um, every week is, is talking to you about how God needs your money. Oh, we're, God's going bankrupt. <laughs> if he doesn't get your check today, God, the, the eviction notice is going up on the pearly gates. <laughs> if you just send it in right now, you could save heaven. Meanwhile, the guy's got like a shark skin suit. Really expensive shoes and one of seven Rolex watches. Mine's a, mine's a not that. <laughs> you know, and they're workers of iniquity hiding within the branches. And you know what? From our perspective, we can look out and we can say, like, that seems pretty obvious. You're laughing because you know. You've seen it. You're able to look out and say, oh, it's so obvious. It's so obvious that you've got these um, religious leaders who have embedded themselves into a religious system where they're now benefiting in some way, shape, or form. That is not what God had intended. And that's the mustard seed parable. But the leaven, that's different. See, the leaven addresses the much more subtle inward spread of false doctrine. This is personal. This is the danger of leaven being introduced into your life in a very subtle way. Remember, this is the woman. She hides leaven into three parts and then lets it do its work. And it's like someone like, comes to you and is constantly coming to you and saying, I don't know why you go to church all the time. Like every week? What is that, some kind of rule or something? And you read the Bible every day? You look at the word. You actually believe that that's true? I don't know how you believe that. I don't know how you believe that. And, and after a while, you know, maybe a little bit of that leaven gets into your life and you're pushing it down, but, you're, but all of a sudden you start thinking like, well, you know, does the, did the Bible really say that, uh, that God created me in his, his own image and that he knew me before I was even formed? And is he really a he anyway? Maybe God is really a metaphorical force or a mother nature type thing. And, and heaven is just a peaceful state of mind, which I can achieve through meditation and clean eating until we've all become one united non-binary consciousness existing on organic carbonated rainwater and wearing non-carbon neutral skinny jeans. <laughs> I mean, that's much further down the road. But you see how that can happen. It's subtle. And so he warns them about the subtlety of the leaven. Can I just tell you, in either one of these cases, it's not really a thing that you could say, you know what, I'm getting rid of that leaven. I'm going to be better. You know what you have to do? You have to say, Lord, I've let the leaven in. Lord, forgive me. I confess that I've let the leaven in. I've confessed that I've had those moments of doubt that I've then begun to embrace a little bit. Lord, please forgive me. And he comes in and says, you're cleansed. And then he says, throw out the skinny jeans. <laughs> All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the wheat field. Now, I'm not going to go through that again, but there is something interesting here. Why did they pick that one? That's the only one they ask about. He, he gave them the parable of the tares and the wheat, and then he gave them the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, and, they, and everybody leaves, and they come inside, and they were like, Lord... Lord, what was that one about um, the, 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 tear, the tears and the wheat? What was that one you said about how we're not supposed to pull up the wheat? You mean we're not supposed to pull wheat up? We're just supposed to leave them be? Weeds that were planted by the enemy? Just leave them be? Is that what you're saying? Lord, could you explain that one? Why is it that they wanted that one explained? Well, you're talking about the sons of thunder here. Lord, 
Do you want us to call down fire and burn them up for being mean to you? Lord, you mean we're not supposed to judge the others? We're not supposed to look at whether they're weed or tares and then pull them up? What, what, you, we're not supposed to do that? <clears throat> and Jesus says, um, actually, what will happen is you will do more harm than good if you do that. Well, I mean, I can't just sit here. I have to do something. Jesus says, you're right. Here's what you can do. Pray for them. You mean pray for the victims of injustice, right? Yes, he says, and for the perpetrators. Oh, well, you mean pray that God would cause calamity to befall them, right? No. He says, pray for their salvation. Oh, Jesus, what if I do that and that foul person confesses their sins and receives forgiveness and gets saved? Well, then they're no longer your enemy. They'll be your brother. And that's what he calls them and us to do. Don't pull up the weeds. Pray for the weeds. You know, the only difference between an enemy and a brother is one confessional prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. Boom. Brother or sister in the Lord. I think that was the perfect one for them to ask about. And I love why he says, pray for them. In verse 41 Jesus says at the end, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and the gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says there again at the end of his parable, he says there's more here than just a story about wheat and seeds and fish, which we still haven't gotten to. It's coming. But very important, you see, once again, Jesus himself makes reference to a time that is coming, the end of the age. When is the end of the age? Don't know. I don't know. God has appointed a time for the end. Actually, in Psalm 75, it says, this is God speaking through the psalmist, at the time that I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. At the time that God has planned. Jesus will say, only God knows it. Only God knows that time. Not even the Son knows. The angels don't know, and not even the Son. It's only known to the Father. So, since we don't know, boy, oh boy, that means that we should be busy about the, sharing the Word, right? We should be busy about sharing the Word. We should, um, if you're sitting here and you're like, you know what, I, I hear what you're saying, and all that, like, saved, getting saved stuff, and being born again. Do you know what? <laughs> Being born again sounds like a really like 70s Jesus revolution type of thing. Jesus says it to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. They just borrowed it. If you're sitting here and you're not born again, you're thinking, you know what? I, you know, I've got time. I'm a young man. I've got time. I've just retired. I want to live a little bit. And Jesus says, there's an end of an age coming that you don't know when that is. Only God knows. The angels don't even know. You can't go to to the Ouija board and say, Ouija board, could you please tell me when the end is? Because honestly, they would have to say, we don't know either. They won't, because all they do is lie and destroy. Don't ask a Ouija board. Just stay away from those anyway. Stay away from the Ouija board. (laughs) And verse 44 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. It is very common, very common for people to read these and say, I'm the one who found treasure, which is Jesus, and gave up everything so that I could have that treasure wrong. If that's what you've been taught, throw that away. What he is saying is you you are the one that is found by Jesus. Jesus is the one in this parable who goes out into a field and finds a treasure and sells everything. Did you give up everything to follow Jesus? Honestly, did you give up everything? No. And you know why that's also very dangerous? 
because it says that we did something in order to get salvation. There is nothing that we could do to get salvation other than to what Jesus says, believe it. If you believe that you're the one who goes out and finds the treasure, you're the one who went and found a pearl, then it is on you. You're saying, I found it, and I purchased it, and I did the work, and you didn't. Jesus was the one who gave up everything so that he could get the treasure. It says that he who was rich became poor for your sake. You are the treasure. and In fact, not you. Um, To go even deeper into this, Again, why do you suppose there's the treasure hidden in the field parable and the pearl of great price parable? Have any ideas? Is Jesus just repeating himself? Didn't we already cover that? So there's a reason, right? In fact, this is what I think, and it's going to be wrapped up right here, is that Jesus, number one, in the parable of the treasure that's in the field, he's first of all talking about his people, the Jewish people. In Exodus 19.5, he literally, God said to them, if you obey me and, and do my, uh, fulfill my covenant, you will be my special treasure. You'll be my special treasure. So in, the, in one sense, he's saying to the Jews, you were the treasure that was hidden, that Jesus went and gave, himself, gave all that he had, including his own life, so that he could possess you. And then he goes on and he talks about the pearl. The pearl is the Gentile people. You know, pearls weren't especially valuable to the Jews. They really didn't care for pearls. They liked diamonds, they liked gold, but they, and, and precious stones. They weren't really into pearls. Pearl was a, a Gentile thing. Right? And so, um, interesting thing, where do pearls come from? Yes, oysters. Okay, where do oysters live? In the sea. Did you know that the sea in the, in the Bible is a picture of the nations or the people? Right? And so the pearl comes out of the nations or the people. Right? And um, did you know also, and this is really interesting, is that, um, you know, a diamond, if you find a diamond and you like, you have to like polish it and cut it, right? And you break it apart and you make other little diamonds. um, If you break a pearl in half, it's worthless. A pearl cannot be divided and still be valued. And it's like Jesus is saying, Gentiles, I'm bringing you out of a pagan world to a place where you are following me now and worshiping the one true God. And you are valuable because of that. But if you are a divided Gentile, you lose that value. You cannot be divided. Remember God says to the rich young ruler, you lack a single um, devotion to the Lord. You're divided. You're fractured. And so he gives us these two parables to say, I, Jesus, am the one who went into the field and found a precious or special, or in in Hebrew it says peculiar treasure, which is probably more true. Um, I'm the guy who went into the marketplace and found a pearl of great price and sold everything, gave everything I had, including my life, left my place on high next to the king, uh, uh, next to God the Father, became poor for your sake so that I could possess you. That's what these parables are about. You see, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more than he does right now. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. Do you know that also there's nothing you can do that will make him love you less? He loves you so much that he gave up everything to possess you. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Do you see what Jesus does? He's so, he's so good at this. He says, this one I'm talking to the Jews. This one I'm talking to the Gentiles. This third one, it's everybody. Fish of every kind. This was a dragnet that they would drag between probably two boats. They would throw this net in. This is a parable. Obviously, remember, parables are like really well-known, kind of earthly examples that they would know. Like, I've never fished with a dragnet, so I have to really look into this one. But um, the point is that they would drag a net, and it would catch whatever it caught. And then they would pull that thing up on net, and then they would, up on land, and they would start sorting through the fish and saying, this one's good, this one's not good, this one's good, this one's not good. But you understand... That it says, um, in which, um, 
which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the, the, the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just. And you see what he's saying is not, it's not up to you to separate the good from the bad, but that he's going to send his angels to do that, just like he talked about the wheat and the tares. So they would pull up the net and they would separate. This is a fish that we can eat. This is something that we don't want to eat because a dragnet would grab up everything. They would be like, this is a really great ocean type fish. This is a gross octopus. And throw it away. Octopus. Who ate that the first time? Who was sitting there and pulled out an octopus and was like, this looks delicious. (laughs) Somebody who was really, really hungry. was like, I don't like this. It's gross, but I'm just going to give it a shot. You know, but this is saying that it, it's the angels at the end of the age that will come and separate the good from the bad. It's, it's not up to me. You know, I just went fishing um, this week. We didn't, uh, we didn't drag net fish. We fished with fishing poles. But um, every fish that we pulled in, we didn't get to keep. You know, they, they have to be a certain size and a certain type at a certain time of year, none of which I know. I don't know any of that. So I, we, I pulled out a fish, and I was like, this looks great. Look how big it is. And it's like, he's like, yeah, it has to be at least 13 inches. And it was like, I don't know, eight or nine inches. I was like, man, it's fighting like crazy. <laughs> I am ill-equipped to judge which fish were good and which fish were not good. I wouldn't know. I could tell the difference between a fish and a, a crab, but I couldn't tell the difference. I wouldn't know what kind of fish. And every single fish I pull out of the water looks exactly like the fish that I just pulled out of the water. It was like, oh, well, that's a golf snapper. And oh, this is a pink, yellow, purple snapple or whatever. <laughs> Not snapple, snapper. They all look the same to me. I can't tell the difference. And I don't know the regulations, but the guide knows. And he would say, no, we can't keep these. And that's the guide is the angel here. God is saying, there is someone who I'm going to send who is going to know the difference and who is going to be able to separate the good. It's not your job. It's not your job to do that. But he says that there is going to, the, the net gets thrown, it gets pulled in, and um, don't worry about the good fish and the bad fish. Like God worry about the good fish and the bad fish. You become, become um, consumed with trying to figure out which is wheat and which is tear. Looking out over and say, mm, wheat, 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 tear, tear, wheat, wheat, wheat. Well, I better do something about those tears. And God's like, no, no, don't worry about it. First of all, love on the tear. Why don't you go and share the gospel with the tear instead of trying to be like, come here, tear, you're getting, I'm pulling you out. Maybe the tear is just really weak wheat that needs some care. How do you know? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know which fish to save and which fish to throw out. Maybe they changed the regulations at the last second. Now it can be 10 inches instead of 13. (laughs) Jesus says in verse 51, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. (laughs) Really? That makes me laugh because he just goes through like seven parables. And they're like, look, could you tell us what this one means? And why do you say things in parables? And then they come to him and he explains it all. And then he says, do you get it? And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. Because they're all looking at each other going, I'm not going to say I didn't get it because he's he's shaking his head yes. So they're like, "Mm mm-hmm, we get it, Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Get it? (laughs) No, this is what he's saying is now that you have heard and understand, go and share it. Go and share it. Later on, he's going to say that basically the same thing, and we have something that we call the Great Commission. Go out into all the world. Share the gospel message. Jesus Christ died for your sins because you couldn't pay that price. He went to the cross. He bore all the weight of sin. He died. After three days, he rose again, defeating death, therefore giving you an opportunity to be forgiven of your sin and go to heaven. Do you believe that? Is exactly what Jesus says, those very words. Do you believe it? All who believe in him will have eternal life, he says in John's gospel. Do you believe it? That's what you share. And share your testimony too, because that's always good. He says, but now that you've heard this, all of this, and understand it, you are the scribe. 
he's talking about. Now that you've heard, go out and share and love and share in that order. Share, love, share, or love, share, love, share. (laughs) People don't care how much you, what's the saying? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Go with that. Care first, then share what you know. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get the wisdom of these mighty works? You know what is really surprising? This is talking about Jesus now leaving the area and going into his own hometown, which is Nazareth. Do you remember, like it says that then he goes into their synagogue and he teaches them. Well, wasn't he already kicked out of there one time? Didn't he go there and say, the reading of this scripture has been fulfilled in this day through me? And they're like, he's claiming to be Messiah. Let's throw him over a cliff and stone him. And they take him out. They take him to the cliff to throw him over to kill him in his own hometown. And uh, Jesus says, no, I don't think so. And it says that he just passed through them. And uh, this really makes me think that there was something really supernatural about that moment because it's like they didn't remember that. Because he comes back in and they allow him to come back into their synagogue and teach again. I'm wondering if it was like, they were like, let's throw him over. And he was like, no, I don't think so. And they're like, and everyone, he just walks through and then they they turn around like, what are we doing here? And they forget, because here he is, he's back in their synagogue. And when he had come to his country, he taught in their synagogue, and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, this not, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Josie, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not with us? Where did this man get all these Things And Jesus is sharing such wisdom with them in their synagogue and clearly doing amazing things while he's there because it says that they're astonished and they're like, isn't this Jesus? Isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't he a carpenter? He built my coffee table. (laughs) Aren't his brothers with us? James, Josie's, those other guys, Simon, Judas, four brothers. It says Jesus had four younger brothers. And at least two sisters, because it says sisters, right? So at least two, maybe eight, I don't know, but a lot of family. Jesus had a lot of family. You know what struck me the other day? Um, You know, Mary was probably 16, 17 years old when she had Jesus. And if Jesus is like 33, let's just say 33 right here, how old's Mary at this time? Like 50? 50. In my mind, I always imagine Mary at at this time is like a really old woman. 50 is very, very young. (laughs) Very young. And you know, Jesus, all of his brothers and sisters are younger than him. He was the first. And so, you know, if Mary had, let's say she had Jesus um, and then four brothers and then only two daughters, right? Let's say she's, so there's that, that many. And even if she had one kid a year after, that means like she has a, at least maybe a daughter that's only 25 years old. I, I just never think of it like that. And you know, at 25 years old and older, you're like a full-on functioning adult at this time with like a family of your own. And, and Jesus probably had nieces and nephews running all around as well. And they're like, Uncle Jesus, you know, and he was like the fun uncle, I'm sure. You know, he's like doing, he's like, hey, have you guys seen this one right here? And they're like, no, what's these amazing things? No wonder these amazing, astounding things that he's doing. (laughs) You know, here's my point in bringing that up. This is real. Just like you have children and maybe your children have children or you have have nieces and nephews. You're a real person with a real family, with real people involved in it. And so did he. And this is real. This isn't mythical. It's not make-believe. He had family. They had family. They were known in this town where they were like, who is this? This is Jesus. He used to babysit us for us. You know, 
Where did he get all this wisdom? Where did he get the power to do these things? But then, look at verse 57. So they were offended at him. Why were they offended? Why weren't they amazed? Why weren't they, like, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. Every child has been told about the Messiah, and every child grows up and tells their children, and every, that child grows up and tells their children, and for hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been waiting for and being told about the Messiah, and here is one who comes with wisdom that they can't fathom and understand where he got it, doing things that they don't understand, and instead of saying, maybe he is the Messiah, they're offended by him. Why? I think that part, part of it, anyway, is that they are just too familiar with Jesus. What does that mean for us? How does that translate to us? How many of you um, have been walking with the Lord for several years? Great. I guess we're done. We don't need to hear any of this then, I guess. How many of you have sat down in church and someone said, okay, now turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. And you're like, oh, I've read that thing like a hundred times. And all of a sudden you're feeling really familiar with the passage and you become a little bit closed off to what you might hear. And I'm not saying that you're offended necessarily, unless you've always believed that you're the one who went out into the field and found the treasure. And I just told you that you're completely wrong and that you're the treasure that's found by Jesus. And maybe you're offended. Sorry. But there is a danger in becoming so familiar with the scripture. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't be absolutely familiar with the scripture, but in the sense that you'd be like, I don't have to read that. I've already read it so many times. When you do, like I have a, a, a devotional that I read, it's set apart readings every day to get through the entire Bible. And there have been times when I've come up with one of the scriptures and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like the third time I've read through Deuteronomy. Shame on me. Lord, I confess, please, Lord, forgive me for having the attitude of being too familiar with your word that I don't let it in in that moment. Lord, forgive me. And this is where they're at. They're so familiar with Jesus that they cannot see the truth that is trying to be pressed into them right at that moment. Do you think that broke Jesus' heart right there? Say, can't you hear from me? Can't you hear what I'm trying to tell you? He would say, you're rejecting the one who is greater than Solomon. You're rejecting the one who's greater than Abraham. Just because you knew me when I was little. And Jesus would say, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Did you, did you ever notice as a parent, like your kids are so polite to other people's parents, but in your house, they're not so much. Or let me put it this way. Why are we so gracious and kind to people who we don't know, but we are nasty and mean to our own spouses or brothers and sisters? There's something about that in us. It's the same thing he's saying, that a, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own house. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for being kinder to a stranger than my own wife or my own children. Verse 58, now he did not do many mighty works here because of their unbelief. Not that he couldn't, but that he knew that it would just fall on deaf ears. He, was, saw, that, he saw that what he had done already had caused them to become even more hardened. And because he's gracious, he withheld doing mighty things so that they wouldn't become more and more hardened in their heart. Man. God is so gracious. Is he, is he not? Is he so wonderful to us? As we end here, I want to I ask you these things. Has your heart grown calloused? 
to the word of God or to the voice of the Holy Spirit? If so, confess it to him right now and be forgiven. Lord, forgive me for becoming even a little calloused to your word. Are you preoccupied with other people's Christianity, determined to grab a hold of weeds and pull them up, roots and all, unaware that you might be pulling up wheat that just needs a little care? If that's you, ask the Lord for forgiveness right now. Have you allowed the subtle leaven of the devil to start to spread through your heart and mind, causing you to become puffed up and make you waver in your belief of his word? Ask the Lord to forgive you now if that's you today. Are you angry or frustrated at the injustice you see in your own life or the world around you? And you know that he wants you to pray for them, but you just can't do it. Ask God to forgive you of that and be set free. Have you spent your whole life up to this moment rejecting Jesus, the one who calls you his pearl of great value, but are now today, even now, sensing his call to come to him and to receive his rest? Let's pray together silently for the first couple minutes. And if that's any of you, or if there's anything that you want to come before the Lord to confess, please do so now and come away today feeling free. Be cleansed. Let's pray silently for a minute. Oh God, what a blessing it is that we can come to you and confess our sins, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would even now bring to mind the sins of those here, mine included, that I have not even acknowledged, Lord, that I might confess them and be forgiven, that I might leave this place feeling cleansed, Lord. You say in your word that if we come to you and confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, I cling to that. Thank you. Why would you even do that, Lord? I don't know why, but you do. Your word says so. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for anyone here who, who has been rejecting you their whole life, but now feels the call on their heart to accept you as their Lord and Savior and be forgiven of their sins, cleansed, and put on the path of righteousness that leads to eternal life. Lord, I pray that that person even now would pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Please come into my life and save my soul. Lord, that I might spend eternity with you in heaven. And Lord, I pray also, would you please pour out your Holy Spirit upon that person and give them the power to live a life that we know is going to be pleasing to you, but that will be filled with obstacles. Lord, thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.